Who do you think is going to get the game ball? Who do you think should get the game ball today, tonight? Well, that's interesting, considering our episode. Oh, are you about to say Campbell? Well, yeah, that's what I was going to say, because the reason you're excited about who's going to get the game ball is you can't wait to see who Dan Campbell hands it to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Welcome back to Shit to Grit. After the victory over the Bucks, David wondered who'd get the game ball. Jameer Gibbs, maybe. Amon Ross St. Brown. Ragnall for his grit. Laporta. Barnes, who eventually got it. But the guy who deserves the game ball the most might be the guy who hands them out. The guy who in three short seasons has turned the Lions, yes, the Lions, into legit Super Bowl contenders and, as impossible as it sounds, into America's new favorite team. So after a brief celebration and a conversation about TV shows, answering machines, talking with dads, and wrestling with sons, David and I talk about the Lions being unique in the NFL a franchise two wins away from winning it all, whose face is their coach. Enjoy the episode. You can talk. Hold on. Let me take a, a sip of my cocktail. This, I'm holding a cocktail in my hand, holding it up to the air. This is to the Lions. This is to you, Marshall, for telling me to, to watch the Lions. They're not the same old Lions. This is to my mom and dad and brother who aren't alive to see it. But I'm watching this. I'm I'm their eyes today. I got to see the Lions win another playoff and be one game away from the Super Bowl. One game. I'm, I don't know what to say. Thank you, my friend, for telling me to watch this team. It has been, what are you feeling? You're, you're not satisfied? Um... I love what I add. You really take your time. To answer, I watched vintage footage of the Oscars. Sidney Poitier won an Oscar. I can't remember for what movie. And he goes behind the curtain, you know, where all the press is there, and they ask him, what are you feeling? And he said, I need a few days. I don't want to just yell out what I'm feeling. I really want to give this some time and think about it. And I feel like that's what you're doing right now. Right now? Are you stunned? No, this felt like a game they were supposed to win, and they did. In other words, I'm in the reality that the Lions are good now. They did what they I needed them to do last week, and I'm in the reality that they're good. And so this felt like a game where they ought to win, and any game in the playoffs is close, so I don't begrudge them for it being close. I don't care that it was at home. It's hard to win in the playoffs. Everybody's motivated, and they're motivated by the same thing. This felt like a game they should have won, and they did what they needed to do to win. So now comes, from here on in, tough tests. Tough tests. Oh, wow. That's, now's the tough test? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Los Angeles made it as a wild card. Tampa Bay was an upset victor last week. This felt like a game they ought to have won, and they did. Does It, feel, it obviously feels very different to you. 
I, I just get emotional because I miss my family. I wish my family were here. To, I remember sitting in our tiny little house in our tiny little TV room, the four of us yelling at the TV, you know, and now we talked about it earlier where you're like, you don't have anyone to yell with. You used to sit with your dad. I don't know if you guys yelled at the TV like my yes. family did, yes. but we, we yelled and uh, uh, now I'm alone, but I'm glad I got you to yell. I, I bothered you. We called each other the whole time. So I want to say to you what you said to me. I'm glad I have you to, to call. I ran into the uh, the other room where Archer was watching some videos, and I did a dance. He looked at me like I was crazy, and then I ran out of the room. That's great, because I heard you hang up, and I'm like, he must be celebrating with Archer, who doesn't even know what's going on. He didn't. He immediately wanted to wrestle me. That was what was going on in his head. <laughs> You're the only one I could talk to about it, so... Uh... I totally understand. I'm going to have trouble going to sleep tonight. You remember when we would talk, like, the Lions would lose and I would be it would be in our heads and we would, I would just think about it and go, ugh. Sometimes I would wake up in the middle of the night and think about it. And now I can't get to sleep because I'm thinking about it, but in a good way. For me, it's something to think about so that I can go to sleep and so that I can fall back asleep. Aww. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it makes it something to focus on. Uh, okay, I'll talk right, to you later. Bye. This is a, bye. What a wonderful day, man. What a wonderful Yay, day. Yay, isn't it? I'll call you later. Okay, bye. Bye. I'm going to try it. it. It makes me nervous, but um, that's a good thing. You know, like, let's let's try it. I'm going to run towards it. Do we just go? Hold on, let me get my mic in front of me. The story, do you remember Elliot Spitzer? Yes. So it's it's the fictionalized story of that. In other words, he goes up and he says, I'm sorry, I've been humiliated, I'm going to resign, blah, blah. And she's his wife. So the story is from the perspective of the wife, not of who it happened to. Make sense? Got it. Yes, I was just taking it in. Which I have to tell you, in recent years, that has been a more and more common thing to do. Uh, Wicked. It's the Wizard of Oz from the witch's perspective. Wesley read a story of, what's it called, Little Red Riding Hood, from the wolf's perspective. Oh, that's great. That's great. I like that take. Me too. Fascinating. What was the movie about the drug dealer family up in the Catskill? Uh, it was like, uh, no, it was the South. They... Uh... Ozark. He was, Ozark, that had a dark, that, that was dark to me. Ozark was dark. Ozark is one of those shows that I usually don't like where, uh, don't get me wrong, I liked Ozark, but it, it throws everything and the kitchen sink at you. There's always these massive plot twists. And I feel like they wear out their ideas so quickly. I like a show, there was a show uh, around the 2000s called Once and Again which was about a divorced man and a divorced woman getting together with kids. And the dramatic plot twists were just the moments of their lives. You know, a big pitch to a client, actually moving in your stuff with the other person. It was like these little steps of the relationship, and yet they felt big. For me, that's what I prefer. Ozark was like, let's kill this person. Let's make this person a murderer. Let's <laughs> I know, this. it's insane. These plot twists are massive and they make no sense. 
there, there's a TV show. I can't think of the name of it. It was popular. This is years ago, I would say 20, 25 years ago. Gwyneth Paltrow's mom starred in it. And they did the TV rounds. I think it was an ensemble cast, maybe five to six people. And they would, everyone wanted to talk to this, this group of actors because it was Gwyneth's mom. And it was like, everyone was really excited about this show starting. In the first episode, we're introduced to the family and they're having everyone over for dinner. The mom has to run out and get a rest, get something that she needed for dinner. They're all waiting in the kitchen. They're just having a good time. And where's mom? She went out to get the whatever. And there's a knock on the door and the police are there. They open up the door. The dad opens up the door and he tells the family that the mother was involved in an accident and she died at the scene. Wow. And it was just a plot. The first episode was shocking because leading up to the this show, all the press was done with the whole cast and no one let on that she was going to be killed off on the first episode. So the whole show was about how this family dealt with the loss of their mother and the dad who had to pick up the pieces. It was really interesting. Are you sure that was Blythe, or was Blythe Danner, which is Gwyneth Paltrow's mom, or could it have been Eva Marie Saint? Could the show have been with Sarah Jessica Parker when she was young? Is it that could have show? Been. It could have been been. a year in the life. I loved it. The part that I remember, the haunting part is that the wife died, Eva Marie Saint and Richard Kiley, who plays the father, the the widower. Now he, somebody calls and the answering machine clicks on. Hi, this is so-and-so leave him. And she's all sweet and giggly. And that's his wife who's just passed. And then he hits it again. Hi, this is so-and-so. And again, and again, and again, Just listening to the sound of her voice. I have every one of my mom's messages on my voicemail, but I can't listen to them. And but I can't, I can't delete them either. I, I listened to them. It, it had been a maybe a year, two years. She had passed, and I said, I think I'm going to listen to my mom's voice just to hear it. And I heard. I thought I was just going to. It was just going to break me. But it didn't, you know, I heard her voice. I go, oh, I, and, and I started listening to one after the other, after the other. And I, I went backwards in time. So she was very ill and I could hear it in her voice. And I kept going backwards and backwards and backwards until I could hear her sound like herself. And she would go, hey, sweetie, it's mom. It was just, it was great to hear her voice. And I thought I would delete all of them after I listened. I, I still haven't deleted them. Wow, I'm really picturing the backwards in time until you hear her regaining her health. What a fascinating! Yes, it was. It was great. I was like, "Oh my god, she sounds just like it was really weak, 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 strong." All the way back to where I just got back in from a walk, and I was like, "Wow, her voice was different." That's sort of like reprogramming our memories that we do on this show. If you listen to it backwards, she sounds like she got better. Yes. Wow. I wonder if that's why I did it. I saved my dad's too. And I sometimes have listened with the idea of there were things we needed to say. And there were a lot of times when I tried to talk to him where he would energetically pull rank as in I'm your father. Yeah. (laughs) And I needed to talk to him human being to human being really seriously, as you know. And I think to myself, could he have felt uneasy enough to have talked about the things he didn't want to talk about? 
I, I like to think he would have, but I would have had to have been strong. Yeah, yeah. My dad never let me forget who was in charge, ever. I know what you mean. Even when I thought we were having a man-to-man conversation, it would switch. We would talk, and it would be back and forth and back and forth. And then I would say something. He would go, no, no. What you're doing is, I go, wait, wait, let, let me finish. No, 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 no. He would just stop me right there. And I would go, this is what I'm going to No, you're, nope. And he would just pull, yeah. And I was like, well, pull I guess. rank. I know it's like pulling rank. I know. I was like, well, I that's know. it. That's the end of this man to man conversation. And I was man to son, you know. Now, inside, did you close up at that point? Did you get scared? What What happened? I to didn't you? get scared. I, I was like, well, this is the end of the conversation. That was it, you know. And I, I felt my, oh, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to use this, but I felt myself doing it today with my son. We just have, we're joking around in the house and we, he makes me laugh and we kind of tease each other, but he's been doing this thing. He'll go. Now I can't even think what he says. Uh, uh, I can't remember the word he used, but he used it several times and I go, okay, you know what? I don't like you using that word anymore. When you're talking to me, he goes, we're just having fun. I go, no, I just don't, you're getting really loose at using that term. Why is that pulling rank? Did you say it as if I demand that you stop? Is that why? I think I said, let's stop that right now. You know, because I think we weren't playing at the time. I was having a serious conversation, and he tried to shut me down by using that phrase, whatever. I got to remember what it was. But I said, you know, I don't want you using that anymore because you're getting a little too loose with it. And he was like, oh, okay. You know, I thought we were having fun. I go, well, no, this is a serious conversation. I want you to hear me out. Only once have I done that with Wesley that I recall. I mean, I've gotten serious with him before, but only once have I said, I'd like you to, I said, I'd like you to make a different choice. First of all, he listens with such graciousness. I really appreciate that about him. But I think in my head, what you say and what you said on the show and in our friendship, they were giants. Do you understand? They were giants when you talk yes. about them fighting. <laughs> Oh. We're giants. I can't tell you how many times I got down on the floor because I know exactly what you mean. Generally speaking, when he was little, he's tall now. When he was little and I had to have a serious conversation with him, almost always I'd get down on the floor because I know how giant I am. I remember the giants and how scary they were. My dad was always taller than me. He's always taller and bigger. But now my son is taller than I am. Not as big, but he's taller. And when we wrestle, it's exhausting for me like he'll i'll have to go okay that's enough you know i so i wonder if he feels like i'm getting to the point where i'm on my dad's level same level and i sometimes i have to push back a little bit interesting wesley and i wrestled he gets this look in his eyes and on his face where you know he's going to absolutely try his hardest and to be honest with you it's pretty hard but if i Turn it up one notch, because we're always careful not to hurt each other. If I turn it up one notch, I could probably compete. So I didn't turn it up, and he won. And he went out to Heather, <laughs> and he goes, I beat him, and I'm just a kid. I just oh. felt so happy. I loved oh, it. Oh, this, this is sweet. Archer <laughs> and I, we do this game where we'll walk past each other, and he'll just step in my direction. 
step in front of me and then I have to push him out of the way. He'll just do that. Or he'll <laughs> lean his shoulder into me as I walk by. But lately we've been doing this thing when we wrestle, he'll grab me and push me towards a wall, pin me on the wall and then lean all his weight onto me and on the wall. Just to, <laughs> the other day I did the same to him and I just, had, I kind of had to put him in his place. He did it and I turned him around and I pinned him to the wall and I just started squeezing him. <laughs> up against the wall he's like enough enough i'll go okay right. <laughs> yeah wesley and I, sometimes when he when we do a little like uh slapping your hands fight before we brush our teeth i'll be like well the only chance i have is sort of go up against the wall and smush him like a peanut butter jelly sandwich <laughs> and yeah. it's funny another thing we do you know where the beanbag chair is in the living room yeah Let's say I'm standing in front of it watching TV or he's standing in front of it watching TV. And I have to admit, I started it. I'll just walk by. You don't need to. It's not really a shove. It's just a little bit of a push. It tips somebody over and you know you're going to land on a gigantic beanbag chair. You're going to be fine. <laughs> so he'll do that to me sometimes. I'll be standing at the TV and he'll just give me a shove and I'll topple over. It's very funny. Uh, his mother was over here the other day. Archer was kind of disconnected. He was on his phone looking at his phone. And his mom says something to me about men and women. And I was about to say something I know was controversial. His mom would have disagreed with what I was about to say. And I started telling his mom my perspective, my point of view. And Archer lifts his head up and he turns to me and he goes, Dad, no. Just, just starts shaking his head like, no, Dad, no, you're going to get in trouble. It was so funny. He knew exactly where I was going. That is very funny. Later on in the car, we were I was driving him to rehearsal, and I said, Archer, you, you knew exactly where I was going. He goes, yep, I saw the quicksand that you were about to step into. And I was like, <laughs> So he knew you were going to get grief, and he was trying to save you. Yes. <laughs> That's funny. I want to ask you yeah. this. I said to you, it means something next to other coaches that – Coach Campbell looks the way he looks. He looks imposing. He looks in great shape. He looks like he could play today. He looks fit. And the way he coaches is different than any other coach I've seen. I don't coach scared and we don't play scared. And I said that matters. And you said something to me about what we're going to talk about today. We, we don't really have stars on our team. Our coach kind of represents us. Tell me more about that. Well, the first thing I thought of, because what I wrote down about what you're talking about, I said, coaches face of team with examples. And I know you mentioned Tom Landry when I brought this up. Was that yeah, yesterday? That, that was yesterday, right? Yeah, that hat. He, he's the only coach till this day, Marshall. <laughs> if I were a head coach, I think I would do it this way. Who wore a sport jacket, a tie, and a hat out on the field. <laughs> And no one ever spoke to him. My dad told me, I don't think you'll ever see a player dump water on that coach's head. You know, they just seemed to respect him. Well, that's interesting because, of course, you remember. I once asked her, would you rather be respected or cherished? And she instantly answered, instantly. I'd rather be respected. Wow. Now, at this point in my life, I actually agree with her. But I was like, what? You wouldn't rather be cherished? There was something about Tom Landry, even as a little, little kid, because he was like a basically a before our time guy. 
And you're right. The only other guy with a hat that I remember seeing was Bear Bryant for, was it Alabama? I think it was. But Landry is a guy, even as a little kid, I respected the way he was. You're right. No one ever talked to him on the sideline that I recall. And he always looked dignified. Over dignified. There. I liked the way he looked. Yeah. Now, our guy doesn't look dignified, but what I wrote down, because he is the face of our franchise, we're going to talk about that. Other than Landry, I can't think of a coach that was a, like Bill Walsh was not the face of the 49ers as great as he was. It was Joe Montana. Right. Bill Belichick was not the face of the Patriots. And even after Brady left, because Belichick couldn't do anything without Brady, Brady was still the face. So, like, I, I was stuck. Mike Holmgren, I'm thinking of all the great coaches. Bill Parcells, I don't even think – I think Lawrence Taylor was the face of that team. I, I was talking about that with you yesterday. So I think we're unique, and I thought to myself as you're talking, well, why would that be? Because what you described is not coaching like a coach, not coaching like a tactician, coaching like a player, like a guy who's just gonzo, who's all out. And it makes me think of there's a yeet meme where somebody's playing chess with an old man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where this is going. And I'm imagining though. The other person sort of like puts the old man in what appears to be a difficult position. And the old man looks at the board and says, yeet. And the other guy said, what's a yeet? And before he can get out of his mouth, he goes, what's a yeet? And the old man goes, yeet. And he flips the board over. <laughs> and now all the pieces are gone. And you don't know where it was. I feel like that's Dan Campbell. He just flips the board over where the other coaches are trying to play chess. He's flipping the board over. It's our trick plays. It's going for it on fourth down. It's what we now know is trying to get that player his bonus at the end of the game. Come on, hurry up, get him his bonus. There's something really kooky about that, but it's also that I drink eight cups of coffee a day adrenaline charge. I'm still going to do the up downs like with the rest of you. That's what you're describing. And maybe that's why he's so beloved. He's relatable. He said after a win or a loss, I can't remember what it was. And they said, how do you feel? He goes, I feel great. It's early in the morning. He goes, I'm running on octane right now. Like he was just even after a lot, he goes, I just can't wait to get out on the practice field. And he is intense. I think that is translating to the, like before Marshall, I would be, I'm still a little bit nervous, but I would be thinking to myself, is this coach going to have them ready to play? Are they going to show up? The old Lions, you know, but now with Campbell, I don't have that. I don't have that fear at all. I know he's going to get them ready to play. It's interesting because I had that fear during the season, but you're the one who consoled me that you trusted him and you were right to trust him. I see he gets, they, they were stumbling a little bit toward the end yes. of the season, but as weird as it sounds like you want the guys who are hot at the end of the season, like we were at the end of last season, but I prefer getting far enough ahead where you can stumble and try new things. And at the end of the season, because you got games to give. I have a couple of notes down. The first one is X-Men. Now, I want to explain something to you about David. He is a sensitive person, which is something I greatly respect. One of the things David is very sensitive about 
is people's livelihoods. He was concerned about me using the phrase, a common phrase I'll add in, for people who've been released. He didn't like the phrase, guy off the street. The Lions were getting guys off. I told him the three and 13 season, the Lions were getting guys off the street. Didn't like that phrase because it sounds like they're unemployed. Or unhoused or something. I don't know. Which is very sensitive, and I like that. So we tried phrase after phrase. I was making him laugh yesterday. <laughs> yeah, you're just you're you're good because you don't have you have endless ideas. You just kept shooting, 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 and I was like, I don't know. So what we landed, I'm like, well, they're ex football players at that point. They've been waived. Nobody's claimed them. They're ex football players. So I what I said, what if we call them X Men? So I've told you about phrases like South America and whatever we use, completion percentage, X-Men is going to be any discussions we have of people who have been cut, waived, gone through the waiver process, haven't been claimed, and are not employed. But that's our way, because of David, to be sensitive. So if you ever hear us say X-Men, we're talking about those guys, the guys that they used to refer to as guys off the street. Go ahead, David. I thought it was great when you write a play out or design a play, you do it in X's and O's. So I I thought when you said X-Men, I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's a nice symbolism. I like that. I had a couple more notes from stuff we talked about this week. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was what does it mean to root for a team? To me, it's like they're a part of your family. You identify. They're part of you. You know, they represent you, your family, where you come from how you're raised, their work ethic is your, that's, to me, that's what that all encompasses. Do you think that's geocentric? Do you think it's because, well, okay, we're rooting for this team that has the name of our city. Is it because we think regionally they can understand us or does it have nothing to do with that? Is it simply because we recognize this city and it's it's our city? I, I don't know. That's a great question. Maybe, I want to say, I want to cop out and say a little of, both but really i think it's just it's our city and it, they represent us this is where we're from this is who we are i have friends uh who live in la and they still feel like the lions are their team they don't feel like la is their team they'll go watch a game but they they don't feel like it's their team it, same it doesn't represent them you're right it doesn't represent them for some reason all right so let me ask you this What are the benefits? And I have one written down that I thought of when we were talking the other day. We now have a full season. I've been watching now again for what, five, six years. But you and I together now have a full season, almost two because you got in halfway through last season, of data of what it's like to root for a team that doesn't suck. What are the benefits now reflecting back you always talk about focusing on the positive, which I had a belly full of that growing up. I like to focus on the truth. Well, the truth is we've been competitive for a season and a half. What now are the benefits of rooting for a team that doesn't suck? That's good. I feel like there's respect. Respect for the city. Respect for the people who, who live here. And the hard winters we have it's about survival and it's like yeah those those people are survivors this team is a survivor 
they're going to fight. It's, it's their work ethic. It's our work ethic. It's, you know, you feel like they're you. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I answered it. Yeah, I think you did. I think you did. And it's almost like their success is your success. I don't know, man. It's weird. It's weird. Because my dad talked so often about the feeling, because as I'll recall, hopefully on a future episode, when we're actually in the Super Bowl, I'll tell you his story of driving to escape the TV blackout up to Canada so that they could watch with his brother so they could watch the game. I always wondered when he said, you've never seen anything like this town when the Lions are good. I always wondered what the feeling would be like. And I'm left with something that my friend Mark said a long time ago. Whenever Mark would visit, he would say, all right, pull out your calendar. Let's make some plans. Get out your phone. Let's find a date. And I said to him once, why do you do that? Why are you always so excited to make the next plan? And he said, because I like having things to look forward to. That is what I'm left with, having watched this team for a year and a half be that good. I don't have rapturous joy. I have the absence of shame, which we talked about last episode. And I look forward to the games, which is an interesting feeling. I did not look forward to the games. It's sort of like what you talked about with the snow and the surviving the winter. It felt like a survival contest, the Lions. Yeah, man. I don't know if it's winning or what it is. When Now when I watch, like, uh, people are talking about the Lions. I remember being on a commercial shoot out in California, and the people working the computers and the lights and stuff asked me where I was from. And I said, Detroit. And they just cowered. They're like, oh, scary. What's it? It's, it sounds scary there. But now most people are talking about the Detroit Lions. And I prefer that much more, much better now. Now when I see the line, the graphics on NFL Today or whatever, whatever show, and that they have the top teams that are left or whatever, and that Honolulu Blue is up on that screen, it just pops. It just pops out. It feels like this is a team of destiny. I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel optimistic. I feel good. Mm-hmm. I always thought, how do we lose with uniforms like that? And when Aaron Glenn's defense plays to its capabilities, especially the safeties, the incredible safety room we have on this team, it looks like an ocean of blue. It looks like you can't beat these guys. There is nothing stronger than an ocean. An ocean could crush an elephant. An ocean could sink the Titanic. You can't beat an ocean. They're unbeatable. I I saw this uh, time-lapse video of it. It was like a hurricane or something. And there were these huge buildings on the shoreline. And these waves, I don't know if it was a tsunami, and these waves started crushing the buildings. And they were the buildings were standing and standing, and, and it was a time lapse, and all of a sudden, it just eroded everything on the shoreline. And then slowly, that huge building buckled, and the ocean just took over that whole shore, and there was nothing left. It was just all water. So we keep going like this. There's going to be nothing left in front of us. 
And we've had this feeling with the Tigers, with the Pistons. When you win it all, you're on top of that mountain. You're right. We live vicariously through these teams. They represent us. It would be nice for the city of Detroit to feel for once like it's on top of the mountain in the sport that dominates the public perception. I told you 85 of the top 100 broadcast shows are football. It's the sport you want to be great in. I would love to have the feeling of being at the top of the mountain, Dave. However, I'm grateful for this feeling where we are right now. I am grateful. You heard me weep. Those were tears of relief. I'm grateful. Relief and gratitude to me are not dissimilar. Dan Campbell. There's something about him that I believe in. Like I believe in this guy who's not the most articulate guy in the world, but has all the passion. I believe in passion. I believe in his heart. I know we have a great, a really, really good team, but there's something about Dan Campbell that I believe in. And if I believe in him, what do you think his players are, are feeling right now? They could run through walls if you have the right motivation. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And I want to potentially close with this. You started out this episode by saying he's a coach that's the face of our team. He came in this place, this place which was synonymous with losing, and he said, I have this idea that we're going to be the hardest working guys in show business. We're going to outwork you. We're going to out-hustle you. We're going to be hyper-athletic and hyper-aggressive, and we're going to out-whatever you. And in the first season, it wasn't, we're going to outman you because we were outmanned. But everything else, we were out, out whatevering them. And then slowly but surely, everybody started to believe in it. Now you believe in it. Now the fans believe in it. These people who, two years ago, one of the reasons, David, like you always give me credit for having started this podcast. But two years ago, when I was telling people after the 3-13 and season, these guys are different. I mean, you were skeptical. And you felt bad for me when they started badly. You're like, poor Marshall. But you were open to the idea. You're like, huh, well, this guy must see something. Most people, come on, the Lions? Oh, what are you talking about? Like that. So that was interesting. So here's Campbell. And you believe in him. And I said to you the other day, Peter Gabriel has a song called Biko after the anti-apartheid guy who got beaten to death by the police. And there's a line in there that says, you can blow out a candle, but you can't blow out a fire. Once the flames begin to catch, the wind will lift them higher. We talked about culture change last episode. I think this guy came in, had this belief, and slowly his candle caught fire. And these guys found themselves believing in themselves in a way that probably the pros beats out of you with all the twists and turns that are so purely business related. This guy said, it doesn't matter. Some of you guys aren't actually going to be good enough to go all the way to the top of the mountain with us, but we'll never forget you. And sure enough, wow, wow. they're still talking about these guys too. Remember how often they bring up the, I, I'll always appreciate the three and 13 team. It's amazing what belief can do. It's amazing. You can blow out a candle, but you can't blow out a fire. This is powerful. Powerful. Ah. 